0: Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime, Bharati Jagdish with you. Now, the 21st century has mostly been a time of peace and a window of possibility for economic growth in Asia. Many would think so. Hundreds of millions of Asians have been lifted out of poverty, and a prosperous middle class has begun to flourish across much of the continent. But the pandemic has seen countries politically polarized, societies deeply divided, and the current intensification of the US-China tensions will undoubtedly be felt in the region, placing Southeast Asia, Asian governments, and this includes Singapore, of course, in a tricky position. Having enjoyed decades of peace, is Asia being confronted with the prospect of war again? We're going to be getting some insights from Pushan Dutt. He's Professor of Economics and Political Science at INSEAD. Hi Pushan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, Pushan, of course, comments on these issues have been made in Singapore by both Prime Minister Lee Sien Loong and today by Foreign Minister Vivian Balakrishnan in an interview with The Straits Times. But let's talk about the problems first before we talk about Singapore's approach to these problems and Singapore's stance on them. Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen said today that recent visits by guests from the U.S. have actually reinforced Taiwan's determination to defend itself. And Taiwan has been receiving more and more foreign officials recently. Tell us what you think the real agenda is here, considering that both China and Taiwan are even economically interdependent.
1: Yeah, so this is a very complicated question. It's whether Taiwan should be, uh, will be helped by these visits or is this is going to lead to a larger escalation. Now, from Taiwan's perspective, the fact that it welcomes these visits means that it does perceive that these visits help them more than they hurt. The risk, of course, that they run is that this there's a disproportionate response from China, who which views these as a provocation. Now, uh, most of the world has a deep interest in the status quo, as you were saying. We've, you know, we've had you know half a century of peace, uh, and China's reaction makes the status quo actually much less favorable to both the U.S. and China and also South Singapore and the countries in the region. So I think the critical question to ask is the following, which is that would China have taken a more aggressive posture absent all these visits? If the answer is no, then these visits are a really bad idea. But I cannot confidently assert that this is true, that China would Mm -hmm. have actually stuck to the status quo. So the escalation may have happened absent these visits as well. So a good example is the crackdown in Hong Kong. There, you know, there was not so much of a great power conflict, but we we see that the status quo is sort of gone. So if these rising aggression and escalation by China is inevitable, then Taiwan Mm -hmm. has to prepare for this rise in tensions.
0: Now, Taiwan, of course, seems to be preparing for the rise in tensions. They just proposed a 19 billion U.S. dollar increase in defense spending for the next year, a nearly 13 percent increase. Obviously, it's to counter China's fierce response with unprecedented military drills around Taiwan after Nancy Pelosi's visit. That, of course, revealed an increasingly emboldened Chinese military capable of carrying out blockades even of the self-ruled island and obstructing U.S. forces from coming to their help. So how dangerous really is the situation right now?
1: So I think you just identified the most likely response, that it's less likely we will see an all-out invasion and more likely we will see a grueling economic blockade. China definitely has the means to put a blockade in place. In fact, even uh, when I uh, read defense experts, it says it is not going to be trivial for China to seize and occupy Taiwan, right? They must also be seeing how Russia has been struggling in Ukraine. Uh, but Taiwan's geography does make it very vulnerable to a blockage. You know, most of its ports, industries, and its population are along its western flank. So you, we could see like a sea and air blockade, and this would still be a huge economic and political shock for Taiwan. The, the next question will be that what will the US and its allies do? Yeah. Now if, mm, they are, you know, if it's a, if it's just a blockade, I would say that they were they are going to simply impose sanctions like they've done against Russia. Uh-huh. Of course, this would trigger an economic war, as not just the US but the US will try to get its allies to impose sanctions on China. So uh, now, if I think about a blockade of Taiwan, disruptions in shipping, sanctions on China, this would still have catastrophic consequences for the global economy. And all out conflict is worse, but, you know, even a cold economic war will have very high costs.
0: Since you mentioned sanctions, I mean, sanctions don't always work, do they, in terms of achieving their objectives? Right now, we're seeing that a lot of analysts are looking into sanctions on Russia and saying they're not really working.
1: So the, the Russia story is a little bit different because the sanctions have actually not sanctioned their source of foreign exchange,
0: mm. right,
1: which is, which is oil and natural gas, right? So the sanctions are, are mainly on technology exports and uh, a bunch of other things on, in the financial sector. But uh, the longer the sanctions go, the harder it is actually for Russia to uh, keep up its invasion. So sanctions, of course, also has the paradoxical effect, which, is, which we see in Russia as well, that it unites the population against the other, whoever the other is, whether it's the U.S. or NATO or allies. So it's not clear that you know, if there are sanctions against China by the, by the U.S., firstly, it will hurt the U.S. a lot more. Mm. Uh, compared to sanctions against Russia. And uh, it's not clear to me that the U.S. has the political will to, to keep the sanctions in place against China for a very long time.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, is it not? And also, Taiwan has also started formal negotiations on bilateral trade initiatives with the U.S. to deepen economic ties. So might this offset any sort of blockade that China could impose on Taiwan?
1: So I think on the bilateral trade, the trade will will actually happen either over sea or, or or over land. Mm. And a blockade, if China does carry out, will be a, both a sea and, and an air blockade.
0: Right. So, so there's really uh, no way to offset the impact, is there?
1: No, it is not. I mean, if if a blockade happens, this the bilateral initiative however deep it is, it's not going to have much of an impact.
0: Analysts do say, though, that Taiwan's dominance in manufacturing semiconductors could prove crucial in deterring an invasion by Beijing, because Beijing is dependent on Taiwan in that regard. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think this is a, uh, this is a, a, an aspect that all of us should keep a very close eye on. So because for a, for a bunch of reasons, the first thing is that semiconductors are key to national defense right now. So, Computer chips are central to modern warfare. They're used in precision weapon systems, in drones, in satellites, in communication and encryption. In fact, uh, as an aside, if there is anything that will lead to an end to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it will be because they run out of chips and spare parts. Now, the U.S. and its allies, if I add U.S. and Korea and Taiwan, they have a huge share in semiconductors. China has a major presence, but only in the low-value-added parts, like assembly packaging testing. So this is a strategic vulnerability for China. That's why we've been seeing in the last few years a massive push into self-sufficiency in in semiconductors. So the U.S. still has an advantage in, in design, and China is, has been pouring vast amounts of money into the sector, in, including financing domestic startups. So this will play out over the next five years or so. The faster China moves into this space and build up its competitive advantage the more confident it is going to be against international sanctions so we should watch the speed and the scale the slower it takes for china to dominate this uh, semiconductors the longer it is going to deter beijing's uh, plans
0: how do you think the relationship between china and the u.s will unfold in the coming years bearing in mind also economic interdependence interdependence when it comes to just maintaining a world order
1: yeah so uh, I think it would be so. There is a perfect world which I like, which I hope will pan out. Okay, but uh, it doesn't seem to be <laughs> happening. Yeah. So I, I think it, it is it is mutually beneficial uh, relationship between U.S. and China. The best way to think about this, in, in from my perspective, is that's the relationship of competitive interdependence. So they compete on certain spheres, but they're deeply interdependent in other spheres. This was, by the way, not true of the U.S. and the Soviet Union when mm. the Cold War happened. So, in fact, competition alone should not be the only or even the core defining attribute of their relationship because it creates a very skewed picture. It leads to the zero-sum outlook. Each party sees the any action by the other as threatening, even if it does not affect its own vital interests. It sees other countries like allies as pawns. They don't see them as partners. So the interdependence is really critical here. So the U.S. and uh, China have 700 billion dollar two-way trade, uh, of China's exports actually go to the U.S. It's its largest market. Uh, U.S. firms sell worth, uh, you know, generate revenues worth $400 billion in the Chinese market. China and the U.S. also have to cooperate on core global challenges, whether it's climate Mm -hmm. change, AI ethics, future pandemics. So what does this mean? It means one side cannot impose its will on the other, okay? Neither gets to choose the future of the other or its regime or the size of the economy, they also have to be realistic about the differences, that they have different governance, they have different economic models, even maybe different values, different global alliances. Uh, each side has tremendous internal problems. I mean, if you, if you look at the photographs coming out of Chongqing today, yeah. you can see that there are tremendous internal problems. They would be better served by solving their own internal problems and, you know, maximizing the interdependence.
0: Like you said, it's all quite unpredictable as well. But let's bring this back to Singapore. Singapore's leaders have been talking about all of these geopolitical tensions and their impact on us in this country and in this part of the world. In fact, Foreign Minister Vivian Balakrishnan just did an interview with The Straits Times in which he said that the world is entering a very dangerous phase. Miscalculations could easily lead nations down a path of conflict. And the period of growth and opportunity that we have enjoyed since independence perhaps has come to an end. And this was something that the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Lee Sin Loong, raised in his National Day Rally speech as well last weekend. Where do you see all of this going in terms of Singapore's role? How we should brace ourselves for all of this? So uh,
1: Singapore has 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 one big concern, which is it's a small open economy, right? Yep. So it's highly dependent on trade, uh, especially. We know that 40% of the world trade goes through the Malacca Straits, right? And we are right here. So conflict in this region would mean rerouting of this trade, and this would be devastating for an economy like Singapore. Uh, we should also note that in the prime minister's speech, there was a big push to expand and invest in ports and airports, the Terminal 5 that he spoke about. So Singapore yes. wants to continue to be the global hub and nation hub, right? A geo- political conflict has severe risks in terms of undermining this project. So the question becomes, like, what role should uh, Singapore play? Now, Singapore does have one big advantage, which is Singapore has successfully balanced its relationship between the U.S. and China. Right? It is, uh, Singapore has been one of the U.S.'s strongest bilateral partners in the security realm and the economic realm. It also has deep cultural and historical ties to China. So uh, Singapore has played this balancing role, and prime ministers of Singapore in the past have served as a valuable sounding board for U.S. leaders mm. and their foreign policy establishment, because Singapore, I think, has far greater insights into China than any foreign policy hand in Washington. Right. So going forward, I think Singapore should add a dose of realism, emphasis that you know we should live in the status quo. It's sort of a win-win. Scenario while war would be a lose-do scenario. Emphasize cooperation over competition. Tell the US does not get to choose China's future. Convince China that it is benefiting immensely from the current world order and stability is in its own interest. So Singapore can play a critical role in bringing down the temperature and encouraging cooler heads to prevail.
0: Sure. However, in terms of the short to medium-term impact, As this crisis unfolds, as the tensions continue, what exactly can we expect the impact to be here in Singapore, considering how we interact with these two countries and the rest of the world when it comes to trade? So
1: in in terms of trade, I think Singapore will still try to maintain its relationship both with China and the U.S. Uh, The vulnerabilities arise if uh, either of these two parties, the U.S. and China, actually forces other countries like Singapore or even, you know, Thailand, mm. Malaysia, etc., to actually choose sides. Now, Singapore did choose a side in the Ukraine conflict. It is, it very bravely, it actually imposed sanctions against Russia. And uh, the reason they did so was because, you know, this was a violation of sovereignty, the Russian invasion, and Singapore really adheres to the principle of, of sovereignty. Uh, with, uh, with the Taiwan situation, it's more complicated because of the one-China uh, policy. So so if there is a full-blown conflict and countries have to choose sides, then that's going to be one of the most difficult problems that Singapore will face in its history.
0: Mm. And certainly the hope is that it won't get to that. Singapore, wouldn't you say, should not be picking sides at this point?
1: I agree. I don't think we have the ability to pick sides. But we should also understand that if there is like a conflict between two superpowers, uh, you know, all bets are out of the window, right? Because mm-hmm. we are in a completely different world, right? So, uh, so la- me, uh, political scientists, politicians <laughs> have no ability to predict what, yeah. what should be the correct policy yeah, in, yeah. in such a world.
0: Exactly. Thank you very much for that, Pushan. Pushan Dutt is Professor of Economics and Political Sciences at INSEAD. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.